0: Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. My name is Alex Graman. I'm the campus pastor for our Torrance location, uh, but it's great to be with you this morning for today's message. Um, hey, everybody at Manhattan Beach, it's so great to see your faces. Thank you for coming to church. We have a special uh, collection of uh, ladies who for our, from out of town who I see sitting right here in the front row. That's amazing. Got to meet them. I don't usually say collection of ladies as if that's a thing we do. Some special guests from out of town that I got to meet earlier. What a weird, sorry, what an opener, huh? but even better than seeing you. Not even better, but also equally as good is that we're digitally now connected live with our Torrance Campus. I just love the people over the Torrance Campus. So glad that we can be together. And then listen, if you're watching this online, maybe it's still Sunday or sometime during the week, thanks for keeping up with church. Let's really make all of us church a habit this year and connect with God in this special way week by week. Uh, today we are finishing up our series, first series of 2023, uh, and that is called AKA God. We've been talking about the different names of God that we find in the Bible. In fact, depending on how you count them, there are over 950 different Monikers and titles and honorifics and ways that people refer to God throughout the Bible. 950 different ways. That's incredible. That might seem like a lot, and it is, but I actually think it points uh, to... How we interact in relationships in general. How many people in your life do you have that you know their name, but you have little titles you give them, or little nicknames you have for them, or ways in different contexts that you refer to them? God's been around for a long time, so he's gotten a collection of those kind of monikers in his own existence and his relationship with humanity. The goal of the series is to help us think through some of those names so we can better relate to God with an understanding of his name. Uh, You know, one of the people who sticks out to me in my life that... Has a name that I rarely use is my wife. Maybe your spouse and you are the same way. My wife's name is Erin, but I almost never say like "hello, Erin." I have different contexts, and I actually have been knowing that I'm talking about this. I've been watching for patterns over the past few weeks of me at home, and I've discovered that they're very clear in my life. Uh, So usually, I don't call my wife her name. I call her beauty or beautiful, like "hey, beautiful, good morning," things like that. Very romantic, isn't that romantic? of me? Thank you. I'm a great guy. Um, but then if I need a favor, I say sweetheart. So I'm like, sweetheart, could you bring me an extra roll of toilet paper in here? Uh, that kind of uh, request. Um, or if I'm asking her opinion, I say, hey, babes, what do you think of this? That's the one my kids always make fun of, like, hey, babes, babes. They think that's really lame of me. Uh, so I almost never say Hello, Aaron, how is your morning? That's great to hear. Um, this is not what I do. Now, that, that's interesting that I have different nicknames for her, but the biggest challenge of names in my life happened early in my marriage where I had to figure out what am I going to call my in-laws? Maybe you face that same thing. They didn't give me any input. They're very nice people who weren't going to make it, like tell me, here's what you should call me. They just left it up to me to figure out. I was 20 years old uh, when I first met them and then was married a little after that. So this was a long time ago, half my lifetime ago. I was asking this question, and they were established human adults. Uh, And so I didn't feel ready to call them their first Names that seemed very presumptuous, uh, like oh, of course we're on the same level. Joyce and Dane are their names. Uh, that felt rude, but I also didn't want to go the other extreme where I would be like, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Harder. That made me feel like I would be in like in fifth grade. Um, I considered going all in with the mom and dad. Did you try that? That's the riskiest, absolutely the riskiest because if they don't respond well to that, that is embarrassing. Hey, dad. And he's like, nope, not ready for it yet or whatever. So I, I didn't even have the guts. I was so nervous, so much anxiety about what to call these people that for the first two years of my marriage, I didn't call them anything at all. I simply figured out ways to not refer to them. Now, we were often with them, visiting or at holidays, and instead, I mean, if I needed to say something to them, I wouldn't say, hey, and then use their name. I would drop something or sneeze, and then when they looked my way, I'd say, hey, I've got a question for you. Thanks for looking this direction. I would like, go out of my way to like get into their line of sight, like, hey, it's your son-in-law. Here, let me ask you this question. It was exhausting not knowing their name. Finally... Two years in, I, had, I was at my end, and I just went with boldly, went with their first names, and it worked, and they were receptive, and praise the Lord that season is over. I'm actually interested down the road. Let's have a conversation. How did you navigate that? That is fascinating to me in relationships. How we navigate, what is your name? What should I call you? Today, we're actually going to be connecting that with God. What should we call God? We're going to look at a passage of Scripture where someone asks him directly, Now, one of the great things about this series, as we've been looking at all these different names week by week, I need you to know that God receives and hears us, even if we accidentally use, there's no such thing really as the wrong name. This is who he is. So especially if you've been nervous to approach God in prayer, because you're not rock solid about, well, which biblical name should I use? Should I pray with dear Jesus? Should I open with heavenly father, our father in heaven? Listen, just talk to God. God loves to hear from you, to communicate with you. I want to clear that up. God does not want to complicate our relationship to him with this name question. Instead, what our exploration of the names of God in the Bible was intended to do, what all these names are intended to do, is give us a much wider palette of ways that we can specifically interact with him. So if you're going through a season where you're, you're feeling vulnerable and you need support, you need a, 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 a heavenly father, you can call him just that. He can be the ultimate parental figure. He, you can even use the word Abba like we talked about last week, the ancient word that, that talks through that connection of you in relationship with God. Other times, you may need to just celebrate the the awe and wonder that God deserves, and you might call him Holy God, Almighty Father, those kind of gigantic, majestic names of God. I I would say that in my life, 99% of the time, I, I I pray in the name of Jesus, dear Jesus. Because that's how he revealed himself as a person to us, and the saving work, the the things that Jesus did to show God's forgiveness and mercy are the thing personally that I connect with day by day the most. So whatever name you're going to use, please, please communicate with God. Share with him what's going on in your life. Make requests of him and approach him in prayer. But today, like I said, we're going to take that unique twist where someone had the guts to say, God, what should we call you? I wish I had asked my in-laws that same straight-up question. Uh, But what we're going to find from from God giving us his own name is that he wants to be active in our lives. In fact, here's the main point that we're going to talk about today. By understanding God's name, we can better see him as active in our everyday lives. God and his name isn't just an intellectual exercise of memorizing a lot of names, it's about, oh God, I want to see you better as you're involved in what's going on in the world. Specifically today, we're going to look at a passage from the Old Testament, just from the second book of the Bible, from this book and chapter, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 we're going to read the famous story of a man named Moses and his interaction with God through the burn a burning bush a sign of a burning bush it's a famous story in the life of Moses uh, if you even if you haven't read this you may be find yourself familiar with this passage because this is the kind of story that was made into famous movies like The Ten Commandments or The Prince of Egypt. In fact, this passage in the movie, The Prince of Egypt, I know it's not a new movie anymore, but the anime, that scene is one of my favorite all-time movie scenes. It captures beautifully Moses and God interacting with each other. It's worth watching, literally to go home and find it. I looked it up. It's streaming on Peacock right now if you have that, or you can rent it for a couple bucks on any other service. Go home and watch that. Um, Story-wise, even if you haven't seen those movies, what's happening in Exodus 3 is that this happened thousands of years ago, and God's people, the Israelites, had been slaves under the pharaohs of Egypt for about 400 years. For 400 years, they had been under the thumb of the Egyptian kings who had made them do hard labor, who had diminished them, uh, but they were growing in number. After 400 years, God had had enough of this, and he began a plan to rescue his people out of slavery, to make sure that they became free and were able to follow him. Uh, In order to do that, he called on a specific man named Moses to be part of his plan. So that's where our story is going to pick up as God is approaching this man, Moses. So let me read to you how this story begins. It's right at the beginning of Exodus 3. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. I love this with Moses. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I've got to go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Now, God, for some reason, does this often where he calls to people twice. This is a repeating pattern of God's where he says, Moses, Moses. I think he really wants people to know, hey, I'm calling to you. Uh, So even in the scriptures, we have him calling Samuel, Samuel, or later even the New Testament, Jesus calls Saul, Saul, and then has a conversation with him. So if you ever hear a voice call you twice, that's God. (laughs) Um, But so far in the story, the only person that's been identified is Moses, Moses, Moses. Now, God is going to identify himself. Here's how it happens. Don't come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God's first introduction to Moses is completely enwrapped, wrapped up in relationship with his family. These people that he mentions are ancient forefathers of the Jewish religion. They are people that Moses considers part of his clan, part of his heritage. God immediately, he doesn't come out of the gate saying, I am the Almighty, I can destroy you at any moment. I am incred-. He says instead, hey, you know me because I've been engaged, I've loved and made promises and covenants with your forefathers. I have known your family for generations. That's who I am. That's the same message God has for us today. God is not an outside force who wants to be scary and different. He wants instead to say, in all of his holiness, he has been making moves in your life long before you knew it. He is a God that wants to become familiar to you and your family. Now, right after he introduces himself like this, God reveals the plan to Moses, and it involves Moses. He says, okay, Moses, you need to... Go to Egypt and talk to the enslaved leaders of the Israelites and tell them that I'm about to rescue them. And then, Moses, you need to go directly to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh himself, and tell him, God says, let my people go free. He's not going to like that, but you still have to do it, Moses. And then God says, after that, I'm going to perform so many miracles that Pharaoh will eventually be convinced and he'll let my people go. This plan is going to take leadership and bravery on Moses' part that he had never experienced before. He's never been tasked with the sort of gigantic thing that he needs to do. So he's nervous. And here's how he responds to God's plan to go to the the Israelite leaders. Here's what he says. It says, Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them listen the god of your ancestors has sent me to you they will ask me what is his name then what should i tell them this is a great question what should i what should i call you this is how god the answer that god gives is both interesting and world-changing and also one of the most confusing answers, and we're going to walk through it today. God actually gives him two names. Here's what it happens. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. So say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Then he adds a second name to that. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And then he finishes with this phrase. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So Moses asks, what do you want to be called, God? What is your name? God gives him two parallel answers. Here's what they are, just for review. He says, I am and Yahweh. During our time today, we're going to walk through these two and what they mean separately. So let's start with that first one. Remember Moses says, who are you? He says, I am who I am. So you tell them I am sent me. So the first one is really this parallel of I am or I am who I am. What we need to remember when we're starting to explore these kind of passages is that these were not written in modern English. The texts that we're reading are thousands of years old and were written, the Old Testament was written in ancient Hebrew And so the translations that we have now today in English do their best to capture what that original phrasing meant, but we have different verb tenses and other language barriers that make it challenging to capture it very specifically. So for instance, that phrase, I am who I am, could also be translated like this, I will be who I will be. It's a verb tense issue that makes it a little confusing. Either way, though, God is trying to accomplish in the ancient Hebrew at least two truths about himself in this single name, I am. The first of these truths is this. When he says, I am, he is pointing at his ultimate existence. Our English actually does a really good job of capturing this. The statement, I am, is an existence statement. God is saying to Moses, I am How should I describe myself? Well, I am the ultimate being. There was not a time when I was not. I have been, I exist, and I always will be. He is making a statement unique only to God, that only God could make, which is there was never a time when I was not. I am. So if you go to the leaders of the Israelites and they say, well, who is this guy? You can say, well, I've been sent by the ultimate existing being. I think we should trust him (laughs) is the message here. God is telling him my existence is so uniquely full that that's going to be my name forever. The second thing it's harder for us to see in English is this, that that I am statement isn't just an intellectual yes, God exists, but it's also about his manifest existence or present existence, meaning that God isn't just I am for the purposes of existing. He is I am with us. There is a a layer here of saying God is present with and to Moses and God's people. He is revealing himself not just externally existing, but existing manifest with them. I know that might be a little confusing. Another way to think about this, a lot of scholars connect this to a more familiar passage, which is Genesis 1, where God is creating. God is creating the world, and he says, let there be lots of things. One of the things he says is, let there be light. And then we read in Genesis this phrase, and there was light. That was is an existence statement, very similar to I am later in Exodus, Light existed, but it also was poured out from God. It had a purpose and a function and a presentness to the creation that was vital. So when he says light was, he's not just saying it was a thing. He's saying it was a thing with his creation for a purpose. That's exactly what he's trying to say to Moses at the burning bush. I am the ultimate being, not me, God, and I am with you. That's God's message to you in your daily lives as well. Sometimes we go through life thinking the things that exist in the world is all there is. Everything has its visible cause and effect, and a lot of it does, but God is active and wants to be in your life. In fact, the first challenge I have for you today is this, is to recognize it. Recognize how the I am is actively present in your life. God is at work, and we miss it. We overlook it. We're not, we don't have our eyes out for it, our radar up for it. And God wants us, because he is I am, to do a better job of recognizing that. Let me just tell you a small story about a way I saw that in a very clear way. Uh, it was last fall. Last fall, well, let, me, let me say this. I, I have made many friends, uh, actually most of it because of involvement here at Journey, um, who, who are unhoused. Uh, And if you have ever had a friend who's homeless, um, one element of that relationship dynamic is that sometimes it's hard to get a hold of each other. Uh, And last fall, one of my friends who is unhoused, I hadn't seen in a few weeks, and I wanted to check up on her. In fact, another one of our friends had given me a gift to give to her for the holidays, and I hadn't seen her around in a few weeks. And it It was like, well, how do I make that connection? How do me and my friend connect when we don't know where each other are? Now, I knew sort of the area that I often saw her in the past, and I thought, well, I guess I'll just go over there. So I went out to this area, but it was a zone where there were many unhoused people uh, in this area, and I I thought, Lord, how am I going to make this connection? This is like a needle in a haystack. The odds are really stacked against me here of making... But then I was like, oh, wait. God, you're the great I am. You know where my friend is. I don't, but you do. Will you be actively present in this situation to help us make contact? So I was like, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive around. I'm going to drive 20 minutes down this street. I'll look around, drive 20 minutes. And that's exactly what I did. For 20 minutes, I drove down the street. And then I made some turns to check things out, and then it wasn't successful. I drove 20 minutes back, and I didn't find my friend. And so I said, Lord, hey, it's your will anyway. uh, I'll try again in a couple days. And I turned a corner to head home, and right there was my friend sitting right there. In fact, right next to a parking spot where I could pull in and have a good conversation. It was a wonderful moment. But right afterwards, I made a tragic mistake. We had a great conversation, gave the gift, went home. I completely forgot about God. Just didn't occur to me. God did a miracle, and I didn't give him a second thought. Here's the challenge. Don't be like me. God is actively present in our lives, especially do be like me in asking for him to be active. He wants to be more and more if you would invite him to do that. But when he acts, celebrate, thank him, turn your heart towards him with joy so that we can experience more and more of his goodness together. It wasn't until hours later that I was like, oh my goodness, the God of the universe was kind to me and I overlooked it. Lord, I'm so sorry. Thank you, thank you, thank you, the great I am for your care. Let's do that as a family. In fact, I want to challenge you in this way. In order to recognize it, here's what you should do keep a record of God's presence in your life. I now have a note on my phone where I'm just going to write these things down so I can go back and be like, oh, Lord, that really was incredible. Thank you. Thank you. How many times do we miss it because we're not looking for His active existence and presence in our lives? That's the first one. I am, is with you. Second, Remember, let's actually review. Here's the verse again. Remember, God says, Say to this the people, I am has sent me to you. But then God also said to Moses, Say this to the people, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, has sent you. Let's talk about that second word, Yahweh. The first name, I am, was brand new to Moses. He had never heard that type of referring to God. Yahweh is the exact opposite. Yahweh, Moses was very familiar with. In fact, from the very beginning of the biblical record, The people who interact with God knew him as Yahweh. So when God uses this phrase, Moses is like, I know that guy. That's the guy I'm familiar with. Thanks for that I am stuff, God, but now I know who you are. The where this word comes from, though, is absolutely fascinating, so stick with me on this one. Uh, Here's what's happening. This is not the actual word. This is the actual word in ancient Hebrew. It is a set of four characters that... No one alive today knows how to pronounce. The the correct or perfect pronunciation, we can guess at it, but no one who has lived for thousands of years actually knows for certain how to pronounce this phrase. Isn't that interesting? That we can lose something this important to time? Here's the reason. Over time, this set of Hebrew letters was transliterated for more modern readers, not modern yet, because this was still thousands of years ago, to this set of four letters y h w h and you might say, well, there it is yahweh that 's how we got there, sort of because it was also transliterated in a separate way into this four sets of, uh, set of four characters i h v h and then, because this was a long time ago, at some point, the letter j was invented. <laughs> and became part of popular use, and that I changed to J. That, if we try to pronounce that phrase, is where we get the word Jehovah from. So when we say Jehovah, we are using that same Yahweh-ish type of name and pronouncing something we don't know how to pronounce. Does that make sense? Now, buckle up, if you are a nerd, this is gonna be your favorite part of the message today. This is also why that transition from I to J is why Indiana Jones in the last crusade almost died during that test where he had to spell the name of God. Remember, he steps on J and almost fails, and instead he's supposed to step on I, remember? He should have listened to this message before going in. We would have been very helpful to him. Anyway... Let's get back to the actual word that we're trying to describe. Again, we're talking about Yahweh. It's at that point in history where it's already confusing, where something new happens. Again, this is in the couple hundred years leading up to Jesus' time. In that time, the people of God, the Israelites, the Jewish people, made a decision where they were like, God is so holy, we actually should stop pronouncing this word altogether, Let's not use this special word of God's name because God is that holy. And instead, they, they came up with alternate phrases to refer to this without actually saying these letters out loud. So, for instance, they came. This is very like a Voldemort e in a good way, where they're like he who cannot be shouldn't. Well, anyway, here's, here's some of the options they came up with. They were things like this, Hashem, which means the name in referring to God. Or they would use Adonai, which maybe seems a little more familiar, the Lord or Master. In fact, our modern Bibles try to reference this kind of ancient tradition. Many, many, many of the references in our Bible of that four-character phrase, the translations, instead of translating it as Yahweh, they have inserted this phrase. They use the Lord. You can tell because it's like small caps here. When you see that in modern Bibles, that's a reference to how holy God's name is that we're going to use this as a replacement. Now, finally, we have all the components to figure out this Yahweh thing because here's what it is. This is fascinating. Most scholars believe that it is this equation. Let's show this. Adonai, remember that was another fill-in name for God. It's the vowel sounds from this word matched up with the consonant sounds from this word that give us our modern pronunciation of Yahweh. If you've ever heard of a word with a more complicated background, I would be fascinated to hear it. We are people who are the inheritors of something so special that it went for thousands of years with people trying to keep it holy. There's an ancient tradition that tells us that in the Jewish community, one high priest would say God's name once, once a year. That's how special it was to them in a big ceremony. At my apartment, we have a fireplace with a mantle. The fireplace doesn't actually work. It's all boarded up, but it looks nice still. And on that mantle, we have a clock. Here's the picture of the clock. This clock is exceedingly special to me. It was passed down to me from my grandfather. It was his clock. So it's literally a grandfather clock. though too short for that. Um, it's not of great monetary value. I looked it up. You can buy a similar one on eBay, 50 bucks. Uh, but it is overwhelmingly valuable to me because this is my grandfather. He died before I was born, and I bear his name. His name was Alex. And so I'm named after him, and he was given this clock. There's a little plaque up here that says, in honor of more than 25 years of service at the General Motors Company in New Jersey, where he worked. This was his retirement gift from General Motors, where he worked faithfully for decades. Now, his handing this down to me, his unborn grandchild, is something that I treasure. And differently than almost everything else in our house, we don't touch, we don't play with this clock. In In fact, probably once a year I get it down carefully, I wind it up just to listen to the tones, and I sit there and I remember the legacy of generosity and hard work that my forefathers wanted to pass down to me. And then I let it run its course, and I put it back on the shelf. Probably not the best way to care for a clock. If you're a clockmaker, that might make you, no, that's not how you're supposed to do it, or whatever. That's fine. <laughs> it's my way of remembering what this thing means to me. Do you have a keepsake like that, one or two at home, that you have that's so special? That's what God's people did with his name. They said, let's barely touch it. It is that amazing that God loves us. We should, re- we should revere his name. We should keep it so different than every other name. Listen, how far in the other extreme have we gone as a culture? We use God's name flippantly. We use God's name as a curse word. Listen, I'm, I'm not saying you should, hey, don't curse around me. That, I'm not saying we should be sticklers about that. I am saying in our own lives, let's, I want to invite us to take a move towards reverence of God. You are so incredible. You are the creator of the universe. You are the savior of my life through Jesus. I am going to show you respect and awe. I'm going to be more careful about how I use your name. In fact, that's the second point. Here it is. Allow yourself to feel reverence for God's name. For God symbolized in his name. In fact, I want to give you homework this week. We don't usually do this. Here's a different passage of scripture. If you want to write it down, take a picture of it. Your homework is to read this passage of Scripture this week. It's a totally different story in the Bible, but it's a beautiful song written in these 10 verses, written by a wonderful woman of faith named Hannah. Hannah was given an extremely wonderful gift by God, and she writes as thank you this this gorgeous hymn of praise. In this Song, you'll see that word, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, many times. I think reading this, taking it in, will help us capture some of the the beautiful reverence and awe that God's people throughout history wanted to put in his direction so that we can mimic that as well. God tells us, I am with you. And then he says, I am so much with you that you should be in awe of who I am and what I want to accomplish in your life. In fact, let's let's review uh, versions of the two statements before we close in the song. We need to recognize how the I am has been actively present in our lives. A great way to do that is to think about the past year. What has God done in my life? Where has he shown up in the past year? And then second this, allow yourself to feel reverence for God's name. It would be valuable to us as people, as a culture, to reclaim some of the awe about remembering really who God is. And hey, we're going to sing a song here at the end. The band—you might see me uh, behind me at both campuses loading. This song is one that we've never sung here at Journey of Faith before, but it's it's on Christian radio stations a lot, so you may be familiar with it if you're that kind of listener. Um, the song's name is Jireh, and this is another name of God that's used in the Bible. Uh, remember, we a few minutes ago we talked about this word uh, Jehovah. We talked about Jehovah, Jehovah meaning the Lord is one of those names in the Bible that often separate reasons why he is the Lord gets tacked on. So let me show you a list. I made a list. Sometimes in the Bible you'll see Jehovah-Ra, which means the Lord, my shepherd. Or Jehovah-Rapha, the Lord that heals. There's Jehovah-Shalom, the Lord is peace. And then this is the one for the song, which is Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. This is the person that Hannah is praising because of his providence in her life. The song we're about to sing repeats over and over that name, Jireh. And the theme is that God provides exactly what we need, and that is God himself. That's exactly what we need. That Jireh, his provision for us, is his own beauty and presence and forgiveness in our lives, and it is perfectly enough. So because this is a little unfamiliar at both campuses, I'd like you to kind of stay seated. Please sing along if you know it. But for now, let's just sort of take this in together. Uh, Allow me to pray, and then our musicians will start uh, and sing this over us. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you're not separate, you're not far. But instead, even as the ultimate being, you want to make yourself present and known in our lives. Lord, open our eyes. Let us see those places where you are already active. Let us invite you into more and more present areas in our lives. Thank you for your good gift of everything we need because you are everything we need. Help us live into that this week. And I pray, Lord God, that you would change our lives bit by bit. I pray that.